How about a bit, a bit of ominous music there, Ben? Um, in fact, I think that's the most upbeat number from the Flowers in the Attic soundtrack. <laughs> that is a rare distinction. Like, that is a, a distinction it should be proud of. Oh, I mean, the story of four children trapped in their mother's attic. One of the creepiest movies out there, I think. Wouldn't you say? Certainly is. Um, I mean, we've had this discussion before, but it was actually originally supposed to be Wes Craven's Flowers in the Attic. But the hilarious thing is that the producers were concerned with his incest-laden screenplay. <laughs> As if they hadn't read the book before purchasing the rights. <laughs> I, well, you know, I think it's like uh, you know, the stuff that they did for It. Like, let's just remove the weird <laughs> child sex orgy. And, you know, it was like, it makes sense if you read the book. Does it, Stephen? Does it? It makes sense in his fantasy. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, um, that's a classic story of being trapped. Flowers in the Attic, and there lies today's theme. <laughs> how are you, Ben? I'm good. How are you? I'm not bad. How how do you do, everybody? Uh, good movie Monday. Um, you're right there. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> for a second, I just, did I just burp into the microphone? <laughs> Oops. Shall I do that again? Good movie Monday, everybody. <laughs> we are the podcast dedicated to nerdy cinematic ramblings. My name is Glenn Cochran. The other guy is Ben Halwig. And God forbid we ever find ourselves trapped together. That would be horrifying, mainly for you. <laughs> so long as we have movies to occupy ourselves, um, we won't have to worry about those sexual tensions. But <laughs> <laughs> I often think, though, like, I mean, you've got a massive collection. We're sitting amongst it. I've got a massive collection. But if I was trapped in a room with my own collection... <laughs> I I think that's when I'd start having suicidal thoughts. If I had to actually watch all the shit I bought, <laughs> I'd rather be in somebody else's collection too. I mean, I think I think our ratios are different. But what do you reckon <laughs> is the the ratio of watched versus not watched in your collection? I was yeah. thinking about that maybe two nights ago, and I'm just staring at my collection as I'm trying to you know procrastinate or whatever. I'm like, oh, I haven't seen that one. I haven't seen that one. I reckon of all, of, I reckon for. Maybe sixty to sixty-five percent. I have seen. Yes, yeah, so that's a lot. I reckon I'm I'm sitting at around twenty percent. And I'm looking at the ones I haven't seen, and I'm like, I really need to watch that. Like, why do I have it otherwise? Yeah, I no, will get to it one day. I always well, my half my collection is TNA, <laughs> and that's why I own it. But I've got the internet. I don't need to watch that stuff anymore. It's just there on the off chance that. Uh, I want to watch it for some reason, but it really comes or, up. Or somebody destroys the internet. Yeah. If the internet dies, I'll need that. That's right. And then everyone else is the sucker. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, movies about being trapped. <laughs> if you're one of the followers on our Facebook page, then you would have seen our banner for this week's show. And our guest is Dallas Sonia, the, uh, the producer of a new movie called Shut In, which has just been released in Australia. And this is a guy that I would probably consider to be maybe describe him as a renegade, a bit of a non-conformist. A maverick? A maverick. He's a free spirit in the movie uh, movie world, um, and he's an unintentional disruptor. Let's put it that way. Some films of his that you may know and love are Bone Tomahawk, 
Sprawl in Cell Block 99, Satanic Panic and VFW. Um, some absolute bangers. Puppet Master the Littlest Reich. Yeah, exactly right. And um, he was totally up for the chat. Like, he's an absolutely awesome guy. So we have a fantastic interview for you coming up soon. Uh, we also do have our regular Slater segments. Jared Garn's back from holidays. Uh, Guillermo Troncoso has the movie news from Screen Realm and what's been going on up there, which apparently is not a lot. So it's going to be a good one. <laughs> and the three lads from Bonehead Weekly are going to take a run at today's theme. Actually, now, Ben, we uh, we had Melzy at the desk last week. We sure did. Always a good time when she's on the desk, but um, isn't she always so prepared? So many notes. It's outrageous. It's outrageous, <laughs> her notes. Like, I shit you not. I was looking at them. I was looking at them last week, and she was, like, casually flicking through her phone. It's... It's the kind of thing that if the Wikipedia page is that long, you don't you just read the first paragraph and then that's it. But she's like, Jesus, she like does her prep work. I know. And how how many notes do you have here today? Like, like the, my notes for the, the two films are on an A4 page in dot point form. They take up a third of the page. If that. If that. <laughs> We've got stuff to give away as well, Ben. Prizes. Hooray. Prizes. Thanks to uh, Dead End DVD, we have a grouse copy of Cujo on Blu-ray uh, up for grabs from Eureka. And um, all you have to do is go to the goodmoviemonday.com website and enter. Lots of other prizes there too, not just that one. Oh. Yes, we've always got stuff up for grabs every oh, month. Oh, hang on. Yeah. Do you have to enter on the Dead End Drive-In page or our page? Our page. I thought you just said the Dead End Drive-In page. The Dead End DVD page. Did I say? Whoa, fuck. <laughs> Rewind. What Rewind. did I say? Um, all you have to do is go to the goodmoviemonday.com website. <laughs> not Dead End DVD. Dead End DVD will not have this prize available on their website, even though they are supplying the prize. They will us. have a link to it on their social media. So if you accidentally <laughs> ended up there, well then, you know, good. <laughs> Excellent. There you go. But yes, on our website, we do have lots of other giveaways, including uh, movie tickets and driving passes and a whole lot of other DVD content as well. And there's even a, an umbrella. Uh, prize back up for grabs. Fantastic. Yes. Now, um, okay, so before we get stuck into it, as I say every week for people that are new that are listening, we do recommend movies that are based on the theme for the show. And I had one I really, really, really wanted to talk about, but when I tried to find it online or anywhere at all, it's just nowhere. It's disappeared entirely from the fucking, fucking universe. It's like it never existed. And so I'm going to just talk about it so people have it implanted in their minds that they should watch. Do you remember Tomorrow by Midnight? In Australia, it was called The Midnight Five back from 1999. Never heard of it, Glenn. This I don't think this film exists. I've looked it up on the internet and it's not there. It is a banger. It's, it came from that era of movies like Clerks and Suburbia and Empire Records. And it was about a group of friends who trap a video store clerk in the store because he won't rent their movies after midnight because it's against the policy. And so they pull a gun on him and they say, well, if you're not going to let us take this movie, we're going to watch it here. That so sounds like Midnight Five. In Australia, it was called The Midnight Five. Okay, sorry. Yeah, no, I have heard of Midnight Five. <laughs> yeah. I do remember that film. <laughs> there you go. Thanks for paying attention. <laughs> I, I, just, I, only, I only heard the, f the, yeah. the first title. No, fair enough. I thought that was a cracker of a movie back in the day, mainly because I was working in a video store. I could relate to the nerdism of it and you know, the desire to rent a movie after a certain time. What I never liked about that movie, though, was the, the American title was called Tomorrow by Midnight, which was a reference to their returns policy. What kind of fucked up returns policy is that? Yeah. They have to be back by seven, so you have a chance to rent, to them, rent out them again. again. That's right. <laughs> 
And that's where you, and to be honest, that's where you made most of your money when you find people for returning it after that date. <laughs> exactly. Where we never did. It was such a cracker of a movie. Alexis Arquette played the video store clerk. You had Carol Kane in there, Lloyd Kaufman, George Garcia was in it, you know, before he got lost. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I mean, I kind of think this film should have become a cult hit, but it never did. Um, and I guess. I don't know. I don't know why, but the director Rolf uh, Kineski went on to make sex movies. So you might know those films, Ben. <laughs> familiar with I'm familiar with his other films. He made a bunch films. of uh, manual movies and stuff like that. Um, anyway, I just thought I would drop yeah, that movie into the conversation. That's not your recommendation. It is not. It is just uh, one I wish was a recommendation, but the fact that nobody's going to be able to find it means I probably shouldn't. Let's track down my. I've got it on VHS. It's not it even. Is. It's not even on YouTube. That's good. well. I can't find it on YouTube. Maybe soon it will be, <laughs> now that we put out the call. Well, you know what? I had the VHS too, and as you know, I got rid of all my VHS, and I'm spewing. That so was who, like um, that was from like fucking Magna Pacific or something like Magna that. Or, I was like, Force yeah, I think it was like 21st century. That's it. It was 21st. Eagle. It was 21st century. Yeah. Yeah. Damn it. Anyway, uh, Jarrett's back from holidays. He certainly is. I actually caught up with him uh, earlier in the week, or late earlier last week, I guess, as the case may be. And did he look suntanned? He certainly did. He looked uh, rest and relaxa- relaxed and rested. I think relaxated is a good word. Relaxated. It's <laughs> relaxed. Uh, but, uh, and then, and, but funnily enough, like we caught up for lunch and I was hesitant because of, because of where he lives. He lives close to a Taco Bell and a Carl's <laughs> Jr., which is where I, which I do not have anywhere near me, which is where I would love to go. But I thought as he had just come back from the US and probably eaten nothing probably but. the last place he'd want to be. But no, he uh, they he just went to Fancy Pants restaurants uh, from reality TV series, so uh, he was more than happy to uh, partake in some Carl's Jr. Oof. But uh, disappointing, Dr Pepper's not on tap uh, here like it is in America, and that is that is the biggest I think the biggest come down apart from the fact that when they say when New York and LA are like open <laughs> twenty four hours a day, they t- you think oh it's the same here you get no, no, no it no. is not. Everything is like it's. You can do anything you want at just about any time in in the US, and you can get Dr Pepper on tap here. Damn, damn straight. You know, by eight nine o'clock, everything is closed, <laughs> and uh, you have to really hunt for some Dr Pepper. You know, Carl's Jr. is not a sponsor of this show, but I can tell you, they do a bunless burger, which is, oh, it's like just their, is wrapped in a lettuce, it's wrapped in a lettuce leaf. Well, not anymore. It's probably a cabbage leaf now. <laughs> yeah. Gross. <laughs> Hey, this is Jared and welcome to PE Class. Now, I'm back from holiday and just in time to talk about my favourite film of the year that happens to be hitting home entertainment this week. It's P.T. Anderson's Licorice Pizza. However, unfortunately, it's only getting a DVD release locally. That's right, Universal Sony cancelled plans to release a Blu-ray release. In any case, if you do want it on Blu-ray, you can import it from the US where it comes with a slipcover and fold-out poster. That said, I have a good feeling that this film may get a look-in from the Criterion Collection sometime down the track, so you may even want to hold out for that. That said, the DVD that's being released locally does put over all the special features from the US Blu-ray. They include camera test, a behind-the-scenes featurette, the Fat Boonies commercial, and even a deleted scene. Now in some more brighter news, in 4K Ultra HD news, Universal Sony are releasing from the Paramount catalogue Beverly Hills Cop 2, and I've got to say, 
this has an incredible 4K visual presentation. It's also got Dolby Vision and only ports the DTS HD 5.1 track that was on the previous Blu-ray, so no Atmos or DTSX here, but it's hardly necessary. Now sadly, despite the fact that this is being billed as a 35th anniversary edition, it sends any special feature content. And you won't benefit from importing this one from overseas either, as sadly the US release is just the 4K disc as well with no special features. The only bonus to be found with that one is a slipcover, and let's say I love Beverly Hills Cop 2, so I actually did get the US one just for the stupid slipcover. Now also coming out from Universal Sony from the Paramount catalogue is another classic film getting the 4K Ultra HD treatment. It is Brian De Palma's The Untouchables. This is another exceptional 4K transfer from Paramount. And the good news is they've seen fit to do a new Dolby Atmos mix for this film. Now, there are special features on this release. They are just being ported from the Blu-ray, but regardless, it's good to have them. And they're all present on the 4K disc because this, Untouchables and Billy Hills Cop 2 are 4K only, no Blu-ray component. But that's fine because all the content is on the 4K itself. Also out from Universal Sony Pictures Home Entertainment this week is Studio 666, that Foo Fighters horror comedy. It's coming out on DVD only. And The Bad Guys, the animated family kids film. It's coming out on Blu-ray and DVD. Also coming out this week from Roadshow, Ty West X. Unfortunately, Roadshow are only releasing this one on DVD also. It is available in the US on Blu-ray from Lionsgate, and it's been released in some parts of Europe on 4K Ultra HD, so I dare say there's 4K Ultra HD coming out in the States down the track. Who knows, maybe Lionsgate will double dip and actually do a 4K special edition when Pearl finally surfaces on the big screen. Then also out from Roadshow this week is the Channing Tatum drama comedy feel-good movie dog. It's coming out on Blu-ray and DVD. Now that's everything for this week, so until next time, stay physical. Well, almost everything. What he failed to mention was that this is the week of second-rate sequels, Ben. <laughs> This is my kind of week. It's your week. What he didn't tell us was that Fortress 2 is coming out on uh, DVD with Bruce Willis and um, Chad Michael Collins. Fortress 2? Yeah, it's the Fortress 1 was that movie directed by, uh, far out, what's his name? James Cullen Bessick, is that his name? James Cullen Bressack. Bressack, that's it. Yeah. Fortress is one of his so films. I was just thinking that, because I was like, hang on, Fortress 2 with Christopher Lambert no, that, in space. Been and done. Yeah. And, I mean, it's not a sequel to the Rachel Ward film. <laughs> and, yeah, and I thought I thought if that one's coming out on Blu-ray, that's a big deal. No, no, we're but, talking uh, about like... Just a DVD release yeah. of the James Cullen Bressack... Fortress. Fortress <laughs> sequel, which I have never seen, even though he was a guest at Monster Fest one year. We brought him out. Yeah. Um, and also, Eraser Reborn, which is the, uh, the, the loose sequel to Arnold Schwarzenegger's Eraser. Get out, there's a bomb in there. Directed by the guy that made Quarantine 2 and uh, Deep Blue C3. I didn't, even, I didn't even know there was a Deep Blue C3. You can buy a triple pack from Warner Brothers. It is uh, oh, no, hang on, no, tasty. Deep Blue C3? <laughs> you should. If what's you're my the, friend, you should. The, what's the other one? <laughs> what's the other one? Uh, the one with uh, Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, Deep Blue C. Deep Blue C? Yeah. So I'm thinking of, what's the one where they with the shipwrecks and they go... Um, and the first one is Jessica Alba and... Oh, that's Fast the big... The oh, that's the, um, Into the Blue. Into the Blue. That's what oh, I'm going to get mixed up with. Yeah, wow. I thought there's only two of those because the second <laughs> one has uh, has the girl from Birds of Prey and uh, the the remake of... Um, with The Rock, that remake of... Uh, get Not Get Carter. <laughs> What's the one where he comes back to town? 
He's in the army. He's like the the town has changed because his old high school friend has turned has closed down the mill and ran, started a casino. Fuck, I have no idea. And he gets beaten up in the thing. A walking tall. Walking oh, tall. Walking tall. Yeah, the the Kevin Sorbo sequels as well. Yeah, there's the Kevin Sorbo sequels. Yeah. Well, well, then when we got there in the end, it's like playing. It's like playing. <laughs> you must remember this old man bingo. <laughs> oh shit! And next up. Has anyone got that movie with The Rock in it where he comes home from town and uh, <laughs> walking tall? Bingo! That's, that would be a great game. It's like what Fantails, what Fantails used to be before when you didn't have much of a film knowledge and now it's so ridiculously easy. Speaking of Fantails, uh, Chloe and I are going to be starting a little bit of a Fantail game every week on our Up Late videos. So if, uh, oh, really? Yeah, doing the whole who am I, you know, guess the actor type of thing. So yeah, there you go. Thank you, you should, for the uh, thank you for the plug. You should uh, also invest in like invest in uh, like have a look at the Leonard Moulton game. Oh, that uh, Doug Benson and stuff play. Although his version of the Leonard Moulton game is not as good as Ant Timpson's version of the Leonard Moulton game. But that is that's when you open up you randomly open up a page from the Leonard Moulton movie guide. Yep, and you read from the bottom up. Up. Like yep. The card well, we we, try and... we do have some similar kind of games planned. So yeah, listen, a watch for that on a Wednesday night at ten thirty. Uh, but thank you for Jarrett. It's good to have him back on board. Um, it's good to have him carrying that physical entertainment load for us. Yes, he's Save, like saves us doing. He's stuff. like Atlas, <laughs> carrying the physical load. Although he forgot about those. Uh, those little sequels. Those so, sequels. No. I wouldn't say he forgot about it. <laughs> but he knows what show he's on, right? He is. <laughs> so I'm um, I'm going to let you take the first recommendation for the show. Oh, okay. Go ahead when you're ready. We're talking about trapped movies, in case you've forgotten, <laughs> because <laughs> we haven't really spoken about yeah, that since you started. Yeah. The, the fact that they're trapped. I, admittedly, I, I kind of went on a bit of a... I went out on a limb on this, because trapped... There's a lot of there's a lot of ways you could interpret that. You could be that, trapped. Uh, you could be captive. You could be stuck. Stuck. There's a lot of ways you could do it, and so I decided to revisit one of my, as a kid, one of my all-time favorite films. And honestly, watching it again, I do not know why I loved it so much as a kid. <laughs> yeah. But it is 1981's Victory, or as I knew it, Escape to Victory. Is this the Sylvester Stallone one? It is the Sylvester Stallone You've done Stallone. this as a recommendation before. Have I really? You have. But go for it, because no one will remember. Oh, all right. I, yeah, did, no. I doubled up last week. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> uh, it, it wouldn't surprise me. I've only I've only really watched 10 movies in my entire life, and I've just got to keep retreading them, <laughs> yeah. coming at them from a different it's angle. It's got a kind of iconic poster. It does have it. It's got a great... It's in, it's in a V. Yeah. And they're all, like, fist pumping. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, it is, like, you say it's a Sylvester Stallone movie. For me, he's the most annoying thing in the movie. Well, yeah. It's a Michael Caine movie for me. It is a Michael Caine movie. Or he's Max just, von Sydow, who I love. He's the first thing that came to my mind for some reason. Uh, but this one, so it's from 1981. It's directed by John Huston, the great John Huston, uh, father of Angelica yep. and Danny. And Danny. Um, and it's set in World War Two in a POW camp. And uh, Max von Sydow is a... He's a German officer from the nearby base who's come along with uh, the uh, the Red Cross representatives because the night prior, someone tried to escape and they were shot uh, amidst the, amid the barbed wire of the of the prison right. um, kind of defense the gates or whatever it is. Um, and while he's there, he sees 
that they're they're playing a there's a soccer match going on, and it's being run by by um, Captain John Colby, played by Michael Caine, who pr- prior to the war played for West Ham United, one of the bigger teams in the in the UK, mm-hmm. and so he just kind of casually suggests, why don't we? You know, would you be interested in playing a game against the guards, the the German, the German um, soccer team from the camp down the road that he's a part of? Uh-huh. And that's when kind of um, uh, Michael Caine recognizes him as having played for Germany, yeah. the world team for Germany once, and he kind of agrees. You know, if it means they get better rations and mm-hmm. proper proper thing, you know, proper food, and he can select better players from other camps, yep, who are also you know, kind of uh, prisoners of war. Mm-hmm. And Max von Sydow agrees. And then the German high command gets wind of this and they try, they decide to turn it into a publicity stunt, a um, propaganda, a propaganda piece. And <laughs> so they uh, heighten the, the stakes. They decide that they're going to play the match in, in Paris this is just after Germany has occupied Paris. Yeah. They're going to play the match in Paris Um. And it's going to be this big spectacle. So Michael Caine, Michael Caine's a superior officer in the camp, decide that, like they think they think at first it's a joke. Like he, they're they're gonna it's a horrible propaganda piece. Yeah, they're gonna come out looking ridiculous because there's no way they can win. Mm-hmm. And they but then they kind of they urge so they try to get him to quit. He refuses because he wants the better food and he wants the the rations and stuff. And he also gets he gets a bunch of like Serbian players and. Um, Polish players and stuff for these, you know, who the who the Germans had working in uh, work camps. So mm-hmm. they're all emaciated and horribly kind of treated and stuff like that. Yep. He sees this as a way to help them as well. So then he, um, they try and urge him rather than you know they they all think that's a foregone conclusion that the Germans are going to win because mm-hmm. you know they're, they're prisoners, they're half starved, yeah. they're not, uh, and they're never going to they you know they're playing against the cream of the crop kind of thing of the German of the German. Uh, uh, army, so they want him to try and escape. Mm-hmm. Michael Caine wants nothing to do with this, <laughs> and um, because he thinks it's just going to get him killed. Yeah, but uh, then kind of as it goes on, things change, and then you know, there, but then there's also the match, and the match does not go as easily. It's not as one sided as everyone thinks it's going to be. It's a fa- it's a fantastic movie. So uh, uh, <laughs> Sylvester Stallone is in it. He plays it a, a, like a Canadian, yeah, yeah, a Canadian kind of POW who wants to get on the team because uh, he's got his own escape planned. But because of the team, they've stolen his guards, like he, whose routine he knows. Mm-hmm. So he wants to get on the team to get those guards back so he can escape. Um, Pele is in it. A lot of the a lot of the extras and stuff were actual uh, professional football players a lot of the, the players in the team were famous players of the of the era and this was made after he had done rocky right uh it's 81 so yeah yeah yeah, yeah so he he's a... de- he's definitely the star of the film the yeah. big star okay but it's, it's not really was it based on any kind of actual event? yeah it is it's yeah. it's based on a it's based on a hungarian film it was all shot in hungary but i mean of a true story is of it? A, yeah but it's based on a hungry, on a hungarian film that was based on uh, the so-called death match in which this Ukrainian team uh, played against uh, the Germans after they uh, occupied the Ukraine during the early days right. of the war. And according to the myth, the Ukrainian team like destroyed the German team, like, you know, took them to school. And as, as, as a uh, reward, 
they were all lined up and shot <laughs> after the thing. That yeah. is the myth. Yeah. The facts are a bit different. Like, yeah, a couple of players were killed, but years later in other prison camps, it had nothing to do with yeah, this. Right, like, right, right. you know, there's it's a bit of a, uh, you know, a myth. But um, there we go. It's an excellent film. <clears throat> Definitely worth checking it. out if you haven't seen it. I've Add recommended it. it before. That's how much I love it. Add it to your list, people. I'm going to um, try and steer it a little bit closer to our theme because... Um, it's a prison. It is. No, you're right. It's trapped. But like we, we were saying before we were recording, like it's such a ambiguous kind of mm. theme trapped, you know, and we were doing it to tie in with, um, shut in where it's, it's physically trapped in a very small space. But, yeah. um, my mind also went to things like that. So, um, this one, I thought I'm going to settle on a 2004 movie called creep. This Ooh. one, um, so close. <laughs> my other one's a 2004 <laughs> movie. I was like, oh no. This one's not to be confused with Creep that the uh, the Duplass brothers did because they did their Creep movies. But this one is directed by a guy called Christopher Smith, who at the time was another one of those up and coming, I guess, horror filmmakers that I was just obsessed with. Like it felt like there was a new wave of directors coming, including your Vincenzo Natales and your Brad Andersons. Like that was the movie. I was going to say, so, well, you ruined it a bit with Vincenzo Natale, but I was saying you were, you, I was going to say you were obsessed with <laughs> these filmmakers who had incredibly generic names, Brad, <laughs> Brad Anderson, Chris Smith. <laughs> yeah. It's like, come on guys. Well, hey, Vincenzo Natale might be really generic, you know? Yeah. In, in Italy or whatever. Yeah. I think he's uh, Spanish, Spanish, yeah. Spanish, yeah. So Creep stars uh, Franca Patenti, who is a woman who falls asleep on the platform of one of London's underground tubes, tube stations, um, subway stations, as people you do. don't know. Yeah, and she wakes up to find herself completely locked in and she can't get out because some of those stations, they do lock. Uh, but then an empty train does pull up and she hops on it, but that train has practically been rested for the night. So the driver has gone before he realizes she's on board. The lights go off and she's still stuck, you know? And now the train's blocking the, you know, the tracks, you know, to get in either way. Um, but then out of the blue, and this is not a spoiler by any means, because this is all within the first kind of act. Um, she finds herself stalked by a coworker who followed her into the station. So while she was asleep, he'd been watching her the whole time. And then he just shows up from nowhere and tries to rape her. Like that's, where the movie starts, you know? Yeah. And from there, it's hideous because the the rapist, once again, towards the start of the film, he's killed as he tries to rape her by an unknown figure, a real lurching kind of figure. And she runs for her life. And so then the film is basically her running through this network of catacombs trying to get out while there's this figure trying to catch up with her. She finds, she runs into like a couple of homeless people living down there uh, who try to help her, but lo and behold, they're picked off as well. And so it's very formulaic slasher, but in this real contained space. Um, but without giving too much away, um, and this isn't giving too much away, the figure is a mentally deranged and disturbed hermit, right? I'll leave it at that because otherwise it is you know, going to spoiler territory. But um, we're talking victims in cages that uh, get dunked into like the sewage to keep them fresh and then... He eats them and like and that's once again the tip of the iceberg and the real nasty stuff I'm not even going to tell you because it's something that's delicious when you watch it <laughs> when you watch it as a horror fan like you, you rub your hands together and, and you know it's like oh I can't believe they're doing that she's in a few of these films she's in Frank yeah, she's she done is. some great and some there's, great there's, horrors like, I remember watching this first time I caught it was new release DVD at the time and watching these particular the final act in particular I'm watching it remember going, when DVD quality was enough yeah I know I like know. it was like that was great. It kind of still is for me, but um, 
watching it, I remember thinking, how the fuck did this pass the censors? Like, there was stuff in there that's just absolutely horrendous. Uh, the Creep is played by Sean Harris. If you don't know him, he's been in a couple of the Mission Impossible movies. He's in Prometheus. He's in The Green Knight recently and The King. Um, you'll know his face, so look him up. Joe Anderson is also in it, and he's the guy from Across the Universe. He was in The Grey and The Crazies. And uh, much to my uh, <laughs> much to my pleasure, he was the lead in Backdraft 2. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so the interesting thing, Christopher Smith, the director, said that his inspiration for the entire film actually came from the subway scenes from American Werewolf in London. So oh. you know, we've recently been talking about that on the show. See you next Wednesday. Yes. Um, but yeah, as I said, I, I found him, Christopher Smith, to be a really exciting director at the time. I thought, you know, and, and his first few movies were really exciting. He did Creep, but he followed it up straight away with Severance. Do you remember Severance? Great British one about the the office workers that go on like a weekend retreat to sort of you know do a group exercise. No, I remember. There's a, I remember a videotape of a film called Severance. Yeah, um, okay. it is. It's Danny Dyer. It's fantastic. But um, he also directed Triangle, which was quite popular at the time. Black Death with Sean Bean, and Get Santa, which was <laughs> interesting. Um, is it Jim Broadbent? I think's in that one. And most recently, he made a haunted house film called The Banishing, um, which. Uh, I haven't seen yet. So anyway, there's my recommendation. That is Creep 2004. Check it out. Um, we are getting very close to our interview, but uh, first, let's throw it to Guillermo. Everyone's favorite Guillermo <laughs> with whatever news he can muster from the past week while the website's been down. <laughs> How's it going, everybody? It's Guillermo here again from ScreenRealm.com, Australia's favorite entertainment website covering all things movies and television. As always, I'm here to tell you a little bit about what we've covered on the website in the past week and not much at all in the past week, unfortunately, because the site has been kind of down or laggy. It's been experiencing technical difficulties, so we've been in the process of changing hosts and um, server issues, all that jazz. It's all messed up. So, thankfully, there's been a little bit more going up on our YouTube channel. You can go to YouTube, go to Screen Realm. Be sure to subscribe to us there. We had not one but two video reviews go up from Glenn. Both of the reviews were for Netflix films and uh, talk about difference in quality. One was for Interceptor. Glenn absolutely hated this film, giving it half a star out of five, calling it one of the worst movies of the year. The film stars Elsa Pataki is produced by Chris Hemsworth and is the featured editorial debut for acclaimed Aussie author Matthew Riley. Glenn wrote in his review, Interceptor is abysmal and most discerning viewers will hopefully figure out that before wasting too much time. Netflix is actually a good spot for the film, seeing as subscribers aren't throwing away too much money to watch it. Had this been a theatrical release, I imagine it would have been accompanied by severe audience outrage. You can check out the complete video review on YouTube, and actually you can read that one as well. We managed to publish that before everything went to absolute shit on the website. Glenn also reviewed Hustle, an Adam Sandler film that's actually a sports drama that Glenn really enjoyed giving it 4 out of 5 stars. In his review, Glenn wrote, Of course the outcome is inevitable, however the tried and true formula that so many films rely on is subverted here and taken in unexpected directions. Whether you're a sports fan or simply a movie fan, Hustle is a huge score for Sandler and a rewarding experience for viewers. We also had a review go up for Jurassic World Dominion. This was reviewed by our writer Hagen Osborne, who did not really enjoy the film, giving it two and a half stars out of five, writing that the film was a convoluted, superficial actioner more than a spirited family adventure, with some preposterous plot points, and with the dinosaurs themselves not really integrated enough into the story to progress at all as much as they should. 
two and a half stars for that one unfortunately. We also had not one but two interviews go up on Screen Realm YouTube. I was lucky enough to have a chat with Zahn McLaren, the Native American actor whose credits include Westworld, The Sun, Fargo, Longmire and a lot more. We talked about his new series titled Dark Winds which hits AMC Plus on June 12th. It's a pretty good chat, so check that out. And our writer Adam Fleet was able to have a sit down with Phil Tippett, the award-winning visual effects supervisor and producer known for many creature designs and stop motion, computer animation, animation, whose credits include the Star Wars trilogy, Jurassic Park, Robocop. Adam was able to talk to him about his fascinating bonkers animated film called Mad God, which is hitting streaming service Shudder on June 16th. That's also a great interview. And lastly, during the last week, we were also able to attend a premiere of The Boys Season 3 Episode 4 before the episode came out. And we were able to film the Q&A that occurred with the cast members. And we uploaded that whole video on YouTube as well. So check that all out. Thanks so much for having me, everyone, once again. Hopefully the site will be back up and running smoothly. And we'll be able to continue the content that we love to deliver. Catch you all next week. Bye -bye. Nice little tune for you. Bring my love by um Star Sailor from Old Boy. Old Boy's a trapped movie. Yes, it is. It's yeah, been, it's been a very long time trapped. It's been <laughs> is it twenty years or something yeah. like that, like a ridiculously long time. Yep. Although he doesn't really seem to age. Yeah. What did What did you make of the uh the Spike Lee remake with Brolin? I did like it. I didn't mind it. I thought the the stuff with um Elizabeth, uh whatever her name is, Olsen. Olsen. Did you find the squid odd in the remake? 
don't remember the squid. He eats a squid. I'm pretty sure he eats a squid just like in the original, but it, it culturally made sense in the original. Yeah, whereas it doesn't no. in this one. <laughs> it's just odd. I, now I'm, think, I'm pretty I'm positive I've seen the original, Yeah, but I only can remember the remake. I think the original is really overrated. Like, I don't think it's as great as everyone says it is, but um, right. just when you watch it without that anticipation or expectation, I think it's, it's okay. Yeah, right. Anyway, which brings us to our interview with Dallas Sonnier. Um, but before we do play that, I just want to talk about him for a minute. Um, as I said before, he's a bit of a polarizing figure. Um, there's a huge divide of people out there who love him, who hate him. Personally, I love the movies he makes. Um, I like his attitude to filmmaking. And above all else, he's a nice guy, as we discovered. So his career began producing Steve Austin movies. Do you remember The Stranger and Hunt to Kill? I love Steve Austin movies. Well, I do. Remember well, this guy's films. responsible for those early ones, and then he'd go on to the Skull, Bleeding Skull a, Ranch, or Skull Ranch. Yeah, then he'd make a whole, you know, prolific amount of titles along the way. You know, as well as the ones we you know we've spoken about. There's so many others. I think his movies have a very 1980s sensibility to them. Mm. Um, a lot of his critics um, protest about his overall anti woke attitude towards filmmaking, uh, but I think if you pay attention to the films there's just no politics in them at all and i think that's what it is there's just you know they're just like the 80s fucking you know good versus bad and boom that's, and it. that's it yeah um yeah so he's also got a very hands-off approach to filmmaking which he talks about in the interview and just lets his directors go for broke and and that probably shines through in the product as we said before here's some movies he's made as well that we haven't talked about bad milo do you remember that mm-hmm. uh condemned which is that is it WWE? It's the one with um, where they're all the Aussie one where they're all the That's prison- with Steve Austin. I love that yeah. movie. The, the worst thing about it is, is Robert Mamone, <laughs> Australia's own Robert Mamone. I think Mamone, um, Australia's but, um, but Tori Musset. Do you remember it, Tori Musset? She's yeah. in it. Andy McPhee is that his name? Uh, Cody Smith McPhee's dad. What's his name? Yeah, I think he's. I think he plays like a like a neo-Nazi in it. Yeah, but and what's his name? He's in it too. The guy from Charlie from Charlie's Farm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, he's in it. Chris, he's also in the upcoming Furiosa. What's his name? Yeah. Oh, Nathan Jones. Nathan Jones. There we go. Nathan, and Mean Machine himself is in it. Oh, man, see? As the, as the kind of villain, but not really the villain. <laughs> this guy also produced the movie Three Nights in the Desert, which was quite popular. As you said, Puppet Master Lewis Reich, which was really... Horrifying. Horrifying. A fun. Oh, God. Quite fun. A fun entry in the... Speaking of 80 sensibilities, Dragged Across Concrete. Like, you know, that is a throwback movie and a half, that one. Yeah, that's great. Yep. Uh, It's the first movie I've ever seen where Michael J. White plays, (laughs) like, not the... Not the toughest man in the room. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, a couple of my favourites, though. Run, Hide, Fight, which um, I only caught for the first time recently, which is basically Die Hard in a high school during a, a, a shooting situation. Yeah, a live, a live, what was it called? A live fire? Oh, active shooter? Active shooter. Yeah. You put me onto this film. I yeah. had not heard of it beforehand. I immediately wanted to watch it. And I also, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, it's just fun. Like, I mean, how can you have fun in that situation? You've got to see it to, to sort of understand yeah. why. And it's not like the shooters are good guys. They are the villains. And that's what I'm saying. Like, there's no discrepancy between good and bad. Like, yeah. one is good, one is bad. And Thomas Jane's in that one. I kind of liked him in that for yeah. the small role he had. But it's and it, it's a brave producer who will cast Thomas Jane in a minor role. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's because it's it's the I can't remember her name, but it's yeah. the 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 lead actress from uh, 19, 1892 or eighteen eighty five or whatever. The Yellowstone prequel. Yeah, that one. Yeah, she's, she's really good in it. And too. She's great. 
Yeah, so I love that one. And a, a small sort of unassuming one he, he produced a few years ago called The Standoff at Sparrow Creek, which um, also involved a, an active shooter situation that was off camera. You never saw it. And it turned out to be a local militia has to figure out which one of them is the shooter. Right. Um, and it's, yeah, I love it. And it's got a very... It's like an Agatha Christie uh, yeah. you know, dinner party. So it's, it's all one location and the resolution or the, the outcome is very satisfying. So highly recommend that one. And, of course, um, probably his most controversial aspect is the guy that swooped in and hired Gina Carano when Disney fired her from The Mandalorian. So he's known for that. And that film, Terror on the Prairie, gets released this week onto the Daily Wire website and then onto DVD here in a couple of months' time through Eagle. I really do want to see that film. Me too. So that gives you a good idea of who this guy is and what he does. Let's have a listen to that. We do have copies of Shut In and Stand Off at Sparrow Creek up for grabs right now. Once again, go to our website, goodmoviemonday.com, to enter that draw. Okay, drop it in my hand. Here it comes. Dallas, welcome to Good Movie Monday. It is such a thrill to have you on board, mate. Appreciate. It. Thanks for having me. Um, I want to start by just you know saying, and I feel like it is a bit obligatory, but Shut In is a really tense and taut thriller, and I enjoyed it immensely. It, it's awesome. It was a, uh, a spec script that I sold to New Line originally, and Jason Bateman was going to direct it, uh, and. In fact, they even they even built the sets in California and everything, and then they were casting. They were out to all these different actresses, and then bam, COVID happened, and they shut the whole thing down. I'm sitting there thinking, "Are you shutting it down? Just no one's going to shoot in that you know studio for two months. Just chill out for a minute and let's go make it." No, it had to be this whole struggle session and blah blah blah. And so a, a year a year and a half later, I got the script back. Uh, by then I was, you know, deep in business with the Daily Wire and I said, it's time to go make the movie. So that's what we did. Yeah, incredible. And that's ironic considering that the whole, like, <laughs> the whole message of COVID has been shut in, you know, like everyone yeah, needs to be shut in. Yeah. <laughs> the script was so, written, the script was written uh, back in 2018. So the writer certainly did not have COVID as a metaphor, yeah, yeah. but I, it did cross <laughs> my mind at every step of the way. Uh, you know, there's a, a, a sort of a, a strange, a strange allegory there for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, look, I, you mentioned the Daily Wire. I want to bring them up in a moment, but before we do, um, DJ Crusoe, like he's a huge name, you know, to have on board for a yeah. film like this. Uh, was he on board before or after the Daily Wire sort of came into the picture? He read the original script when it was sent to New Line. Um, but, uh, but when we started looking again for directors uh, to make the movie with The Daily Wire, as you can imagine, there's a long list of people we would have loved to have worked with, but only some of the people on that list would have agreed to come and, and, and direct a movie for The Daily Wire. Uh, that's the, na the nature of the political world these days. So... Um, DJ was the top of our list uh, on the bigger list. And then when we went to him, we presented him the opportunity in such a way that he really couldn't say no. Uh, mm -hmm. It was too lucrative and too big of a too, too big of an opportunity. And plus the script is so good. 
and he knocked it out of the park. So, uh, you know, he, he was, if not my first choice, one of my top three choices, and we were lucky to have him. Awesome. And would it be safe to say that um, you know, most of the people you have on board production-wise and you know, um, the cast are in line with your sort of you know, political um, approach to these films? Well, uh, the, the good news is no, because I don't want to be surrounded by a bunch of uh, people who only share one opinion, right? I yeah. like yeah. a diverse... Uh, people, people on the left love to use the word diversity, it's true. I love an organic diversity, diversity of thought, uh, yeah. diversity of experience, point of view, all kinds of things. So we had all types of, of people from all walks of life. And I think that's what makes uh, our movies really exciting. I agree. I mean, I don't know if it's the right word for it, but I sort of have been describing them as sort of nonpartisan movies. You know, I really feel like they're just sort of you know, right down We're- that middle line. And, you know, whichever way you go, these are for you. Yeah, we just defend everybody. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my goodness! Um, with with um, DJ, I feel like he sharpened his tools with his movie um, Disappointments Room in terms of this kind of genre. Um, but here, I really feel like he did, he just had so much precision in what he was doing, and um and this is a guy who you know rose up through that um, era of traditional action movies because he before he was directing he produced Point of No Return and Drop Zone and Nick of Time and all. Yeah, he's the right fit for you, like absolutely. Yes. He was great also to have on set because he's a total adult and a total professional. And so I didn't have to worry every morning about what shots we were doing or whether everyone was going to be uh, prepared. He was the ultimate professional. And so I walk on set, he's got it all set up. We're completely on the same page in terms of what we were wanting to make and the type of movie we were wanting to make. We spent a lot of time in pre-production establishing that and really most of our uh, arguments, if anything, were over whether to do something practically or using CGI. I, I, he, he's, he's had great experiences with CGI. I'm a practical all the way kind of guy and we found a, a really happy medium. Um, and I'm proud, I'm proud to say most of the stuff in the movie is practical. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> but, good. Yeah, but, but, but it, you know, it's, it's, it, it's, my, it's my thing. What can I say? Well, on that, like to, to add some context for our listeners that might not know your name, some of the movies that you've had a huge impact with are Bone Tomahawk and Brawl in Cell Block 99 and Dragged Across Concrete. Um, I also have a, a particular love for um, VFW, amongst yeah. others. Uh, so, you, yeah, like you said at the start, like you've got to be proud of these these movies you're bringing into the world. I, I certainly um, lap them up. And as far as I know, everybody I am aware of that have seen these films agrees. like They are just absolute bangers. I don't understand how uh, uh, so many of our peers could have grown up in the 80s and 90s, fallen in love with so many of the movies that you and I just adore. We all share the same uh, movie history, all the things that, 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 that appealed to us as, as kids and young people. And yet now they're making movies that are totally soft, that are totally safe, that are just derivative of... The, the last movie in the last movie and and look I, I i gotta be honest about the only thing i'm enjoying out of the studios right now are the superhero movies i thought the spider-man uh, movie was great i thought the new batman movie had a lot going for it uh certainly i didn't appreciate the uh january 6th metaphor third act but you know uh 
but 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 for the most part, I just I, I think that the studios have completely lost their minds. And so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to celebrate the greatness of movies from the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s, and try not to lose so much about what we loved growing up on those movies and trying to keep them, but also making them still modern. I don't want to make throwback movies. I'm not a nostalgic guy. I just want to make current uh, thrillers and genre movies that appeal to an audience that frankly doesn't like what movies are being made by the studio systems these days. Yeah, and I feel that's a huge audience too. Honestly, like you, um, you talk to somebody off the record and that's generally their perception, you know? Correct. But when the, when the spotlight's on, it, it all changes. Well, I really feel I really feel in many ways like like I'm the guy uh, wearing the bulletproof vest. So I, you know, send me out into the field. Uh, I'm going to make these movies. I'm going to say crazy stuff in interviews. I'm going to have the public persona that I do and not worry about it, not be sensitive to it. So shoot me as many times as you want, because I I, I won't feel it. Right. And then yeah. hopefully the idea is that other producers, other filmmakers, people who are, who are still young, uh, who haven't even started their careers yet, will be inspired by my movies and feel comfortable making stuff that's dangerous, air quotes, mm. dangerous uh, in a modern world, the same way that I'm inspired by the new Hollywood cinema filmmakers of the 70s, you know, Chimino and Bogdanovich and Scorsese and, you know, Coppola and all those guys. Absolutely. Um, speaking of dangerous, uh, Vincent Gallo is in, in this film and he has such a dangerous screen presence. Whenever he's on screen, you can never trust what you're watching. Um, like, was he hard to wrangle? Like, what kind of person is he, you know, you know, when he's not on camera? He, he, he's the greatest. He, he's the greatest guy. He's so smart. He's almost too smart. And he, he's so thoughtful. So he went and picked a very specific kind of Gucci shoes from the fall 2006 line of sneakers. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, I just kind of said to him, DJ and I kind of looked at him and said, do it, do, do your thing because yeah. you trust a guy like that, that he's going to do the work. So he kept saying to me, Vincent kept saying to me, I, I'm going to, uh, on set, I'm going to, uh, uh, keep to myself. I'm going to stay in my trailer. I'm not going to interact very much. This guy got to set. He met us. He met everyone. We were all so nice. He was having such a good time. That by like hour three of his first day, he's like hanging out in craft service with like the crew <laughs> and having a blast. And he had a blast. And, 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 and sure, he gets very method and we have to clear space for him to get into his character and stuff like that. That, that dude brought it. And that, char that character is wild. And no one could have done what he did. We, we went way out of our way to get him. Yeah, his character was certainly pushed to to areas that I've not seen on screen for a long time. But but also like um, uh, Rennie Qualley is in there as well, and she's fantastic. And for those playing at home, she's Andy McDowell's daughter. Um, how did they go with like the physical demands of this film? Because you know they were really stretched to their limits when it came to what they did on screen. Everyone was a hundred percent all in on set. I mean, I give Rennie so much uh, credit because she. Uh, doesn't have a lot of acting credits and certainly didn't have a lead credit. But when we saw her tape, there was something magnetic about her, her look, her vibe, her energy, the way she was delivering the lines. 
that we all pretty much agreed. We went through a process, but we pretty much agreed that she was right there at the top from, from the start. And we're very happy we landed on her. Now, you know, you get into those sets and some people, you know, mere mortals can fall apart. She totally kept it together like a superhero. She was in there every day, busting her butt, getting, getting you know, burnt, getting, uh, you know, covered in mud, covered in, in, in the rain. I mean, all of it, never complained once and, and, and very much, you know, uh, was, was kind to everyone on set, which I really give her the most credit for because if you go into that mental headspace for a role, you can start to live it out in your life. But she was so cool on set and everyone loved her. That's great to hear. It's always nice to hear those stories. Um, and let's bring up The Daily Wire because I'm really keen to talk about this for a moment um, because I think that anybody that um, considers themselves to be, um, I guess, a centrist or even open to you know, reasonable discourse should have them at least on their radar um, and perhaps see for yourself what they're about as opposed to reading what they're about. Um, I, I thought it was great when they came on board, but they're a new production company in terms of filmmaking. Like, How did they go making films like was there much input directly from them or did they just sort of say go for it so the daily wire is uh owned in part by ben shapiro the uh podcaster one of the top top podcasters in the world and ben uh in 2019 was recommending several of my movies uh he recommended brawl and cell block 99 he recommended the standoff at sparrow creek not knowing that it was the same producer financier uh, studio who was making these movies. And so I, uh, a friend of mine reached out and said, Ben's recommending all your movies. You got to get to know this guy. And so I did, and it was a terrific time. And when I had a movie called Run, Hide, Fight, uh, which I'm so proud of, it's one of my favorite movies I've ever made. Right. It's great. And thank you. And I went to the Venice Film Festival. I knew it was great. And we walk out of the premiere and it's bad review after bad review after bad review. And people are reviewing the politics of the movie, per se, which is absurd. Um, art and artists are naturally political, but a movie itself does not have a political uh, party <laughs> that it affiliates with. A movie can't vote. And so I, I just thought it was so unfair. I thought it was, uh, I felt, it felt personal uh, and, part, and partisan. And so I went to the Daily Wire with the movie after uh, talking to some of the other distributors. And I said, let's do this movie uh, together. And they said, terrific. And they made all their money back in five or six days. Uh, it was a huge smash hit for them. And that led to us having a conversation about building a movie business together. At the same time, the shut-in script became available. At the same time, Gina Carano got canceled, and I reached out to her, brought her in-house. Uh, we ended up making Terror on the Prairie, which is our next movie uh, coming out this summer. Um, and, and, and then I brought all my investors into the mix. And so we started to have enough money to make a, a slate of movies and even getting into to, to television series for the first time. So the Daily Wire treats me and my company, Bonfire Legend, as their almost their in-house production company for scripted uh, film and TV. Um, and in return, I am looking for their next projects and engaging with them and helping them build an entertainment business. I think ultimately, 
what we are trying to make are movies that are not uh, the same, uh, we're not trying to step in the same landmines that we believe Hollywood is currently stepping in. I mean, you can't watch those Oscars from last week and tell me that Hollywood is apolitical. I mean, it's a disaster zone. And so for, so, so for folks like me who uh, 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 identify as a conservative and have more conservative views, um, we really just don't, don't want to work in Hollywood very much. We want to make great movies outside the system, and we want to deliver them to the audiences that really feel like movies have left them behind. And that's the basic premise behind it. But we're not going out there and making Kamala the movie, or <laughs> you know, we're not we're not we're not make, making the, the 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 comedy Fauci biopic. Like we're just not doing that. That's not yeah, you, that's not our style. You're certainly not beating people over the head with this stuff, no. which is the the best part about it. You know, it's it's that's there right. on the table. They can pick and choose whether they want to watch. Um, that's correct. Brings us to an end. I, you mentioned um, Terror on the Prairie. I can't wait to see that. I um, hope to get a chance to talk to some people involved with that as well. So um, that will be available through Eagle Entertainment down here in Australia, as is Shut In. Dallas, thanks so much for taking the time. I could probably chat all day. It's, uh, it's been such a thrill for me. My, my pleasure. Australian cinema it has uh, made some of my favourite movies of all time. And so I just love uh, talking to you and happy to come back anytime. Good Movie Monday is made possible with help from Kaiju Beer. Unashamedly intense Australian craft beer. Welcome to Bonehead Weekly Fun Size, where James just goes, Anyway, we're talking about movies where we're trapped, much like our contract with a certain Australian. Anyway, we're talking about movies where they're trapped, where people can't get out and they're trapped inside. And my favorite, well, actually, I don't know that I have a favorite because there's a ton of good ones. There's actually. a ton of good ones. There's yeah. a ton of good ones. So I'm going to talk about one of my favorite Stephen King adaptations, The Mist. Frank Darabont's The Mist. They're trapped in a supermarket. There's a mist outside. In that mist is a bunch of creatures that are going to kill you and tear off your face, literally. And they can't get out. And inside the supermarket, it's even worse because you got crazy batshit religious folks. It's kind of like being in America today. I saw that coming, like I, but I couldn't stop it. Right. I like I couldn't go to Australia, but they're crazy. They got things that'll rip your face off. Or I could <laughs> stay here with all the religious nutcases. The Mist is one of my favorite novellas. It's in Skeleton Crew. It opens up Skeleton Crew. I loved it as a kid. It was always my dream to adapt it. Of course, that never happened. And then Frank Darabont did. Frank Darabont's version is flawless. He changed the ending from the book and made it better. Stephen King has went on record and said, yep, if I'd have thought of that ending, I would have used it. It's better than the ending of the book. I love The Mist. Go, Chad. We're going to talk about one of my favorite captive movies because it's captive in broad daylight. It's very effective. And that would be Joel Schumacher directing Phone Booth. That's a good one. Did Written not think he was going to go this way. Larry Phone. Cohen. Oh, I was about to say, which, by the way, Larry Cohen has what I wanted to argue is the Captivity Trilogy. That's Phone Booth, Cellular, and not shockingly, Captivity. Yep. <laughs> he wrote the screenplay for all three of those, and all three of them have that Captivity vibe to them. Cellular, she's trapped in the uh, trunk of a car. 
with the dying cell phone. But it's it's not very watchable. No, it's uh, allegedly he showed the script to friends and they said you wrote the same movie twice, basically saying that he took what he did in phone booth and just moved it to a cell phone. But Captivity is is some people think it a little bit more brutal. Um, but definitely, if you've never seen Phone Booth, it's just a very effective film, and, and everybody's terrible all the time, but it's so compelling to watch. And it's only 80 minutes. Yeah, but yeah. every minute works in that movie, I, yeah. I would argue. Like, there's not a time when you're like, oh, they could have cut that. And Kiefer kills it. And The I'll, only actually, movie he's better in, I'm going to go on record saying this, is, of course, Dark City, because I like to do that impersonation to aggravate Joe. It's uh, what's this? We've got <laughs> my movie that I want to pick out. Uh, let's say you go to work. You're you're you let's work in we cubicle. Don't. You go to cubicle. You go into your cubicle, and then some point during the day, you get locked into your office, yeah. and a voice comes over and says, "Start killing each other." Okay, I Chad took what was going to be my number one, and then at the last second, Chad, when I said, "I think I'm going to do this one," yeah, because I was that you you son of it's good uh yeah we are talking about the belco experiment directed yeah. by george mclean and written by james gunn uh and we're it's these these people are working in a corporate office in bogota colombia of all places a bunch of white dudes in Bo bogota colombia and all of a sudden like i said the, the, they get locked in the building and they have to play a game of cat and mouse with one another they split off into splinter cells with one uh, with other members of the office as they try to take each other out just so they can in the hopes that they can get out alive and it has an amazing cast oh my tony, god does it tony gold goldwin john c mcginley uh sean guns in it brett's brent sexton i mean the list goes on adria or jonah i'm probably butchering that name but the movie is great. I mean, it's it, it just it came out of nowhere, guys. You remember it just said, "What yeah. is the Belco experiment?" I agree, and and I I don't think it ever gets credit for it because it's brutal, it's fun, it has Michael uh, Michael blah blah blah. Yeah, Michael Rooker. I couldn't remember Michael Rooker's name. I just realized I've actually met like two third a third of that cast. But keep going. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. I just love Belko Experiment. If you haven't seen it, it, it really does come out of left field, especially that twist ending. Yep. Um, and that's all I'm, I will wrap up, but I do want to give a special shout out to my second pick if Joe had picked the Belko Experiment. Experiment, One of my favorite Alfred Hitchcock films that does not get enough credit, Lifeboat. Lifeboat. Not Lifeboat. Life do you think a Belko Experiment ends with them, you know, like, I think you could argue that P2 takes place immediately after. She just got off work. She's trying to go. She lived. She just Our wants to go home. home. P2, kids, look it up. <laughs> Chad had a little bit of a slip of the tongue there. He meant to say Greg McLean, not George McLean. <laughs> <laughs> Greg, of course, being the director of Wolf Creek in the Jungle, or Jungle, I should say. And who's George McLean? I don't know who George McLean is, but it's probably a character I'm going to note down and write into something. It's, uh, it's uh, John McLean's father. <laughs> yeah. He's not He's not brought up in the, in, the car, in the existing Die Hard movies, but they've gone through both of his kids. The next one has to be his dad, surely. That is a movie they should have done in the Die Hard Legacy. They could still, I mean, they could still do it. Like, they could do it like, uh, oh God, that's happening again. Uh, <laughs> Good one, George. Yeah. What's the, <laughs> what's the movie where the guy's dad helps him? Indiana Jones. No, no, no. What's the, um, Bob Odenkirk? Bob Odenkirk. Oh, Bob yeah, that one. Um, uh, where Nobody. Yeah, nobody, where Christopher Lloyd is. Yeah. The, like, that's, it could be that, but Die Hard. Yeah, that, it makes it, sense amazing. to me. It's, it's like I said, Indiana Jones 3. Yeah. You know, yeah. it works. 
Hollywood, take note. You left just as you started to become interesting. George McLean, and he could be like, you know, he, like Samuel L. Jackson in Spiral. Like, he's that washed up retired cop that's in his retirement. Well, that, that's who Christopher Lloyd was. Yeah. Yeah. It all makes sense. Oh, I wish they'd do it. Except Christopher Lloyd is actually a nice dad. <laughs> and a clever one. Like, Bob Odenkirk has a nice dad. Seems like he has a nice upbringing, unlike all the dads in the other ones. Like, even, um, <laughs> even in the, uh, uh, Olympus has fallen. Yeah. No, no, sorry. Was it White House down? Yep. Friend, like the Nick Nolte is the dad, and he's an asshole dad. Like they're all asshole dads. Like that's you know. Oh no, that was that was the fallen ones. Angel has fallen. fallen is yeah. The, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, that was the cheapest of the three, and I kind of liked it. Yeah. <laughs> there's a fourth one coming too. Just saying. So oh, know. is there? Yeah, I believe so. No, there's no stopping uh, Gerald Butler. I'm going to call him sure. Gerald now for the. Like how long can that guy stay in shape? Like it's just, just eventually he's just gonna get, <laughs> just want to get fat. I he's, just wanna... he's the next Liam Neeson. He's waiting for Liam to drop off I so he can a, swoop in. I saw a great interview with uh, some. It must have been like an MMA guy or something like that. He's an Irish guy. Like it was like a you know a thing on Instagram or whatever it is. And he's at the press conference just eating a pizza, <laughs> and they're like, uh, "Do you?" Uh, you know, miss your abs when they're going. He goes, fuck no. <laughs> people who have abs all year round are miserable people. Yeah. They're miserable. I was like, I'd rather be fat and happy than than uh, ripped and... Uh, That's my excuse. Yeah. <laughs> fat and happy. That's what I want written on my tombstone. You heard it here first. <laughs> Let no man write my epitaph because it's already been written. <laughs> Well, anyway, a tidy, ben Hillary, <laughs> tidy, tidy effort from the Boneheads. If you like what they do, you can find them at Bonehead Weekly. It's a podcast you can find anywhere you get podcasts from. And I do recommend watching the YouTube version because you get to see them as they talk. You can tune out as well. You don't have to watch them the whole time. But I think it's fun to watch them. It's time for your second, re- second recommendation, mate. All right. This one is, uh, like I said earlier, from 2004. Ooh, it's not mine, is it? It's not yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Midnight Five. You creep. No, this one, I can't believe this came out the same year. Uh, it's based on a story by Larry Cohen. It is 2004's Cellular. Which, um, as we just heard on the Boneheads, they did uh, Phone Booth. So yeah, right. it's the Which, companion film. The companion film. Or, like that Larry Cohen. What a, what a, he was an ideas man, wasn't he? He certainly was. Like, you know, just a... Just churned them out. Just a scribe. Yeah. That's just how a, I describe. I think he was a great loss. I actually got to talk to him on the phone once, and it oh. was a, the privilege of a lifetime. So that's almost like the third chapter of that that franchise, isn't is it? it? Yeah. The third movie is you and him on the phone. Did he like? <laughs> what was it? Did he like? Is this I, like a remake of the Whoopi Goldberg? As long as I stayed on the phone, I wasn't going to get shot by a sniper. Oh, excellent. To him, that's where, yeah, that was it. Or Lorraine Landon wasn't going to come around and, and talk he, to and me. And Timothy Bottoms was in the balcony across the road with a fucking sniper gun pointed at you. Yeah. Oh. Was, no, it was the Australian one. It was Cody Smith McPhee. <laughs> he was only he was only twelve at the time. Uh, but basically, so if you've never seen Cellular, it's got a it's got a fantastic cast. But Kim, the film stars Kim Basinger, or Basinger, whichever way, whichever way you want to say it. She's like just this like ordinary, and this is prob- probably the most unbelievable part of the whole film is that Kim Basinger is just someone's mum. She's just like an ordinary <laughs> American housewife with a kid and a husband that works. And uh, Just yeah, couldn't make just that story to, anymore. No. Doesn't exist. Do, couldn't. And like, I just, yeah. She should be. I, I just can't imagine that her husband is played by Richard Berge. I just can't imagine that he's mashing fruit up her clam. <laughs> 
they just they way too way too uh, nice and suburban. But uh, she's the film starts up with her. She's uh, living at home, living her best life. Mm-hmm. Uh, when uh, out of nowhere, thugs home invade, break into her house, kill her housekeeper, uh, and imprison her in the attic with nothing but a smashed phone. Yep, uh, for company. And uh, so, she, and they're looking, and they they're looking. They want to know where her husband is. And the villains, the main villain, is played by Jason Statham. Yes. And this, I'm assuming this was pretty early because it's one of the rare occasions where he plays a villain. It's not too long after the Italian Job, yeah, right, which was his first American film. Um, and they're they're searching for a husband who hasn't. She, as far as she knows, she's he has gone to work, well, but he I hasn't think, turned up for a couple of and days. And I think the, the Italian job was the first American film. He had an American accent, and then they said, let us never do that again. Yeah. yeah. It's not working. <laughs> it's not working for anyone, and no one cares. Just, no. have, just have your accent. Yep. He's no, he's no Sean Connery. I, I do like him. I've, I've, I love, I've got a lot of time for Jason Statham. Yep. I'll watch any Jason Statham movie. Right, quickly, digression, what's your favourite Jason Statham movie? Mine's The oh. Bank Job. It's not The Bank. I look, it's... Oh. Put you on the spot there. Crank. <laughs> crank 2, crank, pretty good. Crank 2. Ugh. A uh, lot of fucking in that. What is my favourite Jason Statham movie? <laughs> I, I, really did, I really did like the, the uh, Wrath of Man. Oh, yeah. How good was that? Uh, I put that, on, I put that on par maybe with the bank job. They're very similar. Yeah. Uh, They're kind of both bank jobs. <laughs> They're both, yeah. <laughs> Um, Sorry, I, I pulled you away from your recommendation, but um, I just yeah, had state them on my I just, mind. Yeah, I'm just gonna, now I want to go back. I need to see his filmography. Yeah, that's all uh, good. And, uh, As and, you were. And talk about it. But uh, So they leave her in this room and they smash the... There's a phone in there because everyone has a phone in their attic. But somehow she manages by, by rubbing wires together somehow, she manages to get a conne- connection and she calls uh, Chris Evans, who is at the time on the pier trying to win his ex-girlfriend back. Just a random Jessica stranger. Beale. Just a random stranger. Yep. And at first he thinks it's a prank, but then he kind of realizes it's serious. And so he's trying to race around and find, first he tries to go to the cops to tell them that this woman is called and this is where she lives and this is what's going on. The cop, uh, in this case, is played by um, William H. Macy, yep. who's like, it's his last day on the job before it's, he goes and off. It's always their last day on the job. Day. It's like Robert Duvall in Falling Down. Yeah. And he's about to go and open a beauty spa. Do you know, Fallen uh, Down came to mind when I first watched Cellular. Like, it's got that by the beach kind of feel to it. Yeah. Yeah, anyway. yeah that kind of California, kind of Cal- the California Just beach. Just doing a classic Ben here and then talking yeah, about other movies. Uh, <laughs> now, I can't remember the name of the guy who he runs into, but but basically it doesn't work out. There's a, he, like, when he's trying to explain to We Match Macy what's going on, a gang fight breaks out in the waiting room of the police station. That is one of the other unbelievable things in this <laughs> film. That police station is like a lovely place with little or no barriers. It's just, it looks like a weird doctor's waiting room or something. But that, but all like all classic cop movies are like that. Beverly Hills Cop. It's always just this big sort of foyer. I oh, know, but they, they look like they're like, there are like cops offices and stuff. Like Beverly Hills Cop's a bit, a bit, Fancier than usual. Yeah, yeah. This looks like like a, you've walked into an OPSM. It's weird. It's it's very weird. 
But um, got their eyes on the so crime. So he tells him to go upstairs to, to report it to one of the detectives. He goes up, but there's no one there. They've all come down to sort out this gang thing. So he has to kind of continue along. Along the way, the phones cross wires with the guy he's sitting next to. So he has to hijack his car to get his car phone to keep in contact with her. And uh, all this, it's like a kind of a fast-paced, frantic kind of film with yep. some great twists and turns. And it's got a great soundtrack. Uh, that goes along with it. It was directed by um, David R. Ellis. Yeah, yeah. The man behind Final Destination 1 and 2 and the uh, all-time classic Snakes on a Plane. I think he was just behind number two, Final Destination. Yeah. 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 No, I think he's Final Destination as well. I think. No, I think um, James Wong did the first one, the X-Files guys, and then he came on for number two. Uh, it's on Wikipedia when I was looking up. It said it said both. But, okay. Uh, well, okay. I'm happy um, to be... Happy to be corrected. We probably both are, so we can uh, let maybe the, they did it together. Let the uh, let the people correct us on that. Jump on our uh, social media and let us have it, people. He was also like he was the assistant director on a lot of stuff. Didn't he do Snakes on a Plane, or did you already say that? Oh no, sorry. Hang on, maybe it's the fi- he's the Final Destination. Oh, which is number which is four, yeah, from three or four, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but it's also written by Chris Morgan, who did a lot of the Fast and Furious movies. Uh, Bird Box, Wanted, Vatican Tapes, and he, of course, yeah. did the Hobbs and Shaw spin-off. So he's worked with uh, mm-hmm. Statham quite a bit <laughs> in his career. Um, Noah Emmerich, your favourite actor, uh, <laughs> appears in this film. Richard Berge, has a, who I mentioned. Richard Berge is great if you need a <laughs> sleazy husband. Yeah, totally. He's perfectly cast for it. Yep. Uh, but yeah, excellent film. Jessica Biel turns up because at the time, like it's such a small part, it's so odd to see her in it. Yeah. But she had been dating Chris Evans off and on for for like five years at that point, and they appeared in a lot of each other's films. Yep. Here and there, and you kind of think she just so she, basically what she did was like you look at Chris Evans now, and he comes across he's like a he's like a man, and well, she married the Justin Timberlake, <laughs> who's like Chris Evans, but like the the pretty boy version, which is odd considering how pretty. Chris Evans is, yeah, but you're like, he's like a Timberlake's like a little bo- like a little kid, so weird. With two minute noodle hairs, yeah. <laughs> it's very odd. Cool choice. That's a good one. That did uh, pop up on a few lists when I was looking up stuff that I should do, and um, I could have easily gone there. And I love the fact that it's a companion film with phone booth. Yeah, I mean, I thought buried is probably the that was the most obvious of the of that yeah, ilk of film. Of course, it was. Um, um, and stuff even like um, one twenty seven hours, and I just yeah, that one was a bit much for me because oh, so much of watch. it is just uh, what's his name in the cave by himself, yep. hallucinate tripping out. With his hand, room, room is another one. Room is another. We one. We can go through honorable mentions later, but I've uh, I've um got a, a little bit of an ad to play first because you know got to <laughs> got to pay the bills, mate. Got to pay the bills. Good Movie Monday is made possible with the support of people like Viewdorium. Viewdorium is a streaming platform for rare and obscure movies, and it's absolutely free. They also have a catalogue full of kids flicks, classic movies, foreign cinema, and more. Visit Viewdorium.com today to see what it's all about. Uh, you know, last week you mentioned my next recommendation, which is Ooh. what inspired me to do it. Um, maybe I mentioned it. Versus progress. <laughs> <laughs> Trapped inside the jocks. <laughs> is it big enough? <laughs> it's too big for these jocks. He's in the bird box. <laughs> He's in the poison. There's always money in the bird box. No, it's the movie Feast. I think I mentioned it and you said yeah. you like Feast. I and did um, like Feast. 
I was talking about that because it's from the creators of The Collector. So I thought this is a good opportunity for me to revisit the entire trilogy, which I oh. did. Um, I'm, I mean, my recommendation is The First Feast because that is a trapped movie where they're all trapped inside a saloon or a tavern. Um, the rest of it, not so, but it's a good opportunity to talk about them. Is when else what, do we talk about these movies? I, am I getting The Feast mixed up with, what's the one where they're all trapped in like a school that they're forced to kind of eat each other? They're all prisoners in the thing. And Maybe they... there's another movie called Feast, but it's not this one. So this one was made in 2005, and it was produced as the, part of the third season of the Project Greenlight. Um, oh. Just to give people a bit of context there, Project Greenlight was a TV series created by Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, and it was essentially like MasterChef of filmmaking, where you know budding filmmakers, all first-timers, competed with screenplays to get a film made, and, and the winner of the show produced the film. Yeah, I remember the first one. Had, Stolen Summer was the Stolen first one. Stolen Summer, yeah, had uh, Kevin. They the, always the land. The guy who does the Christopher Walken impressions. Oh, um, yeah, Kevin Pollock. Kevin Pollock. That's right. Yeah. They always land good cast because I, I guess that's the power of the show. It's got the sway to bring in some cast, and that's the appeal. If you win this, we can get you the cast, the, you know, the money. Yeah. Uh, the second one, I think, was The Battle of Shaker Heights, which I'd never seen, hardly ever heard of. But Feast is arguably the biggest one they've done. Um, interesting. There was a. Um, there was an Aussie version of Project Greenlight hosted by Paul McDermott. Never saw it, but... um, I can't imagine, in true Australian style, I can't imagine they actually made the film. No, or it was something that Paul Finnick made before he did Fat Pizza or something like that. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Is that his name? It's a, it's a Wog Boy. It was a Wog Boy movie one. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Feast. Oh, we kind of had, no, it was a Trot Fest. They, that's kind of similar, isn't it? Well, Trot Fest was a sh- yeah, the short film competition. Oh, then there was another one. Cause I you remember always, in- if you win Trot Fest, you get a meeting. Okay, so I remember another one, and that is how the guy that made Fat Pizza first hit the scene. He made a film that was part of a contest that Video Easy supported and released the the titles on tape. Right. And that's how I know, but I can't remember what it's called. A so. Video Easy exclusive. <laughs> yeah. Not only a Video Easy exclusive, a video exclusive. A video exclusive. Yes. So anyway, uh, Feast is uh, directed by John Gulliger, who is the son of the legendary Clue Gulliger. And I always thought it was Clue Gallagher, but it's I it's, was I was correct. I've been corrected numerous times. I know. I mean, you know, Gulliger. I'm like, what kind of a name is Gulliger? No, you say <laughs> Gulliger. I you feel say, like you say Pekka Par, I say Pekka Poor. Like, come on. Yeah, no, but I feel like <laughs> I knew you weren't going to let that drop. Uh, I feel like uh, um, Adam Sandler in The Wedding Singer, where he goes, where he finds out the guy that's going to marry Drew Barrymore's name is. Julia, Julia, Julia. I've, to be honest with you, I've never pronounced his name correctly, and I've always thought like you did. It was like Gulliger or something Clue, like that. Gulliger, yeah. And so I just did that, hit up YouTube until I found a video of him saying his own name. Yeah. And there, that's how I know it's Gulliger. <laughs> so, um, so this movie feast even had Wes Craven uh, attached as a producer, and it's a one set in horror movie described by myself as. <laughs> I guess I would describe it as... And I would quote... I'd like to quote Glenn Cochran. <laughs> I would call it a cross between Demon Knight and From Dust Till Dawn, um, with a tiny bit of Tremors vibes going on there as well. And the story couldn't be any simpler. A group of customers are all isolated in a tavern and find themselves sort of trapped, fending off a horde of monsters, demon kind of monsters. It seems to be like, what was that one? I talked about it a couple of months ago with uh, Splinter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they're trapped in the 7-Eleven or the gas station. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, This is a really, really gruesome, effective film. All practical. Everything's puppets and goops and, you know, gruesome, disgusting fluids and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> the film um, goo. It's like the, it's like the, all the all the people in it have won awards at the MTV Music Awards <laughs> where they've been slimed. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I don't want to give too much away here, but I will say that. Well, they're the, on. You can't do this on television. And right. they said, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Water. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the 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 cool thing about this film at the time was it was so unpredictable. Even though it is simply, you know, everyone's going to die at a certain point, it sets up the premise that all the characters are introduced. Remember in the 90s, it was cool to introduce them with title cards? Like, Whoom, this is yeah. their name. And this one says their name. It says what their talent is, like a video game. And then it says how they're likely to die. Right. And it says this guy, likely to die in 10 minutes. Like, you know, <laughs> another woman, like, you know, unlikely, blah, blah, blah. And they just fuck with you because none of it's true. No, it's true. So right. you just do not know who's going to die. I do like that idea, but my favourite is the team building, like the team gathering <laughs> montage at the start of a film, like yeah. well, you know, Hawk the Slayer, but Hawk the Slayer, it's like literally the first three quarters of the film where he gathers the team or yeah. you know, kill and kill again or, yep. you know. The, the cast of this one's pretty impressive. You had Balthazar Getty. I think it was the last thing of any you know significance yeah. I think he's done. Henry Rollins is in it, playing very against type. Josh Zuckerman, Jason Mewes, playing himself, which is hilarious. Oh, right. Because uh, it says Jason Mewes, and then it says playing Jason Mewes, you know, talent, stoner, like, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Uh, Jenny Wade and Krista Allen is in it oh, also. Jenny Wade. Yep. I always had a thing for Jenny Wade. And it's just 90 minutes of intense standoff between humans and monsters. And um, there is a lot of monster erections and a lot of monster jizz and the monster jizz is green and this it gets you in the eye every time this sounds like a movie for benjamin boobs it certainly is and they <laughs> they trap a monster dick in the door and chop it off and then it sort of flops around on the floor spurting its jizz. <laughs> it is an insane movie blood jizz and then mm. came feast number two which is called feast two sloppy seconds that was made in 2008, and then part three came along called The Happy Finish in 2009. Part two play, takes place the very next the day. The Happy Finish, the happy ending, right? It's called The Happy Finish, which I always thought was a bit weird. Um, it gives context. Um, maybe they couldn't call it Happy Ending for some reason. Yeah, <laughs> well, maybe. Maybe there's, a, there's a, maybe there's a story behind that. Yeah, so I kind of guess the sequel gives a bit more context of where the monsters came from because this one takes place outside of the tavern with some of the survivors getting to the nearest town to realise that is what got hit first. Right. Uh, so they'd already been there. Uh, and then number three is um, pretty much survivors of that one trudging through sewers trying to reach it to the city as opposed to the town. Ooh. So it's a bit of an evolution. I mean, they, they, <laughs> they sort of... Um, they get less in quality, even though part two and three were done back to back. They get cheaper, but they're just still so much fun. Remember when that was a thing? When the yeah. sequels were cheaper versions yeah. instead of like now it seems to be the sequel, they have to spend more money and make them bigger. And in that regards, this one reminds me very much of the From Dust to Dawn trilogy where yeah, the right. first one's got this real substance and quality and then number two and three kind of diminish a little bit, but they're still so much fun. Yeah. I'm a huge fucking fan of From Dust to Dawn 2. Like I love that one. Of course one. you are. Yeah. That's the best part about that movie is when they're all in the hotel room and they're all watching the porno <laughs> together and then, the, and then they're like they're silent and then the one guy just goes you know what I hate about this I've been watching this movie for 20 minutes and there ain't been no ass <laughs> you know this is not an endorsement obviously but um, you know before he became Hollywood's number one villain Harvey Weinstein said that was the best director video movie that Miramax had ever released and it's experimental it's a good fun movie anyway uh, what am I talking about from Feast. Dust of Dawn 2 yeah yeah, yeah the right. Scott Spiegel one with, not um, as uh, experimental as a 
From Dust of Dawn 3, I would have thought. Well, no, it is, because From Dust of Dawn There's 3 like a, is isn't just... Isn't there a black and white tango sequence in uh, From Dust of Dawn 3? Number 3 is basically a rehash of the first one, but set 100 years prior. Whereas yeah. number 2 is like a road movie, and it's... Ca- like every, a heist movie kind yeah, of thing? Yeah, every camera angle is different. They go to rob the titty twister You or see, like, vampires bite in from the, the mouth perspective. So yeah, there's, right, like, yeah. giant fake teeth sinking into... Th- it's just so weird, man. Um, but I like it a lot. Anyway. So my, my recommendation was Feast. Um, I do recommend trying to track down that trilogy. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm keen to watch it. Who now. can go wrong with some monster cock and green ejaculation? And not, lots of spewing. There's lots of spewing. Not this guy. <laughs> He's got two thumbs and likes monster jizz. This guy. Uh, anyway, like um, all shows have to come to an end, Ben. We're practically at the end. I can't believe it. I know. Reached another end of an episode. Well, you know, it's not like we do it every week. <laughs> do you have any honourable mentions you'd like to say? Uh, no. You did mention, I, I, you mentioned Buried. I, look, my problem is, is that I can't remember them until you mention them and I'm like, oh yeah, that one. Okay, what about uh, Misery? Yes, that was, I was, that was going to be my plan was to do that one because that is on my list of movies that I... I hate to admit that I've never seen. <laughs> and look, I apologise to all ear holes out there. Ben likes to manhandle his microphone. Sorry, <laughs> I like to twist it. It's it's got a, it's it's like a bendy straw. <laughs> no, <laughs> we need to swap mics. <laughs> Just need to... Uh, cube. Cube is another one. Cube. Cube and cube two and three and three. Yep. Uh, what else? Fuck the oh the Tower in Inferno. Yeah, all of those disaster movies, really. Poseidon Adventure. Yeah. All that sort of stuff. They're all trapped movies. And there was... And there's Trapped, the Palace Explosive movie. Damn straight. Escape from the Insane Asylum. Damn straight. What else we got? I just look around and pick one off the shelf. Somewhere there's got to be lots. I don't know. Glenn and Ben trapped in the office. Yeah. (laughs) Waiting, just desperate to fart. (laughs) Got the matches. (laughs) There's a fantastic documentary from like a year or two ago called The Rescue think it's on one of the streaming platforms and that's all about the the boys that got trapped in the cave in indonesia a couple of years ago oh. it is the most intense documentary i've seen in a long time I highly recommend that one what about the maze runner movies they're all trapped they're kind of trapped aren't they they're trapped in the maze they are trapped they in can't the, maze. Escape the maze yeah labyrinth insane labyrinth we could just sit here and do this like we could um, just uh, yeah just think of the names of movies where people are trapped in things. i know like um 2001 a space odyssey oh, hostel maybe? i don't know they're all trapped in the <laughs> Trapped in the thing, house. They're trapped in the house. They are trapped in the house. Um, you got the reef. Trapped on a reef. Trapped on a reef. <laughs> yeah. The, what's the other one? Where she's she uh, she's stuck in the water. Oh, dark water. Dark water. No, black water. Black water. Black water. No, yeah. hang on. Yeah, black water. Which is the one where the is that the one where they jump off the boat and then they can't realize that they left the ladder off. And oh, no that's the reef. Up. That's that's yeah, that's the reef the or reef. adrift. One or the other. Yeah. It's open water two or three. One or the other. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, I think I've had enough. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's move on. What's What's next week's show going to be about? Well, next week's show, we are talking about Clive Barker movies and Hellraiser because our special guest oh. is Peter Atkins, the writer of Hellraiser 2, 3, and 4. He's also the guy that penned uh, the Wishmaster movie, the first one. Lovely. And um, yeah, so that's going to be a great show. want to do a quick whip around and thank everybody. Thank you to Guillermo, Jarrett, Joe, Chad, and James. Uh, thanks also to Chloe, Sam, and Malzi. Um, who also contribute to some bonus content. Big thanks to Tia. I haven't thanked her in a while. She keeps up with our social media pages. Uh, and thanks to Della Sonia for taking time to chat with us. Shut In again is uh, released this week, and we do have a copy up for grabs on our website. And Ben, you and I hit up Comic-Con. We might have some uh, some 
stuff from that for next week's show. So we get into some mischief. Yeah. There's some it. hijinks. <laughs> How we about eat a- too much candy. We uh, try not to look like we're obviously ogling cosplayers. <laughs> but How- failing, failing to do so. How about a song from the Martian soundtrack? He's trapped. He is trapped on Mars. Yep. The only person trapped there. That's a, you know, it's a, it's a big space to be trapped in. Yeah. What about go- Ghosts of Mars? They're trapped on Mars. Exactly. I love that. It's film. been done before. Uh, this the one's called... Thing, they're trapped in the ice station. This one's called thing. Love Train. It's by the OJs. Bit of a classic. <sighs> Hope you all have a good week. Uh, feel free to keep uh, naming some trap movies there, Ben. Yeah, just going to run through them. Uh, vacancy, are they trapped? Vacancy was... I was going to do Vacancy. What a fucking corker of a film. <laughs> I haven't seen Vacancy 2, though. Des- Midnight Meat Train. Oh, these tra- it's very similar to Creep. Uh, <laughs> just looking at your uh, at your uh, your DVD wall here. Where else were they trapped in there? Uh... <laughs>